Welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Mike are back with you for another week. We took last week off, took a little vacation, but we are back. Micah, we had a completely different rundown when we started to think about our show today, but there was news that we've been waiting for that finally dropped. Dan Snyder has been fined $10 million by the NFL, not suspended, doesn't have to sell the team, doesn't have anything else besides that $10 million fine because of the workplace toxic culture and environment that was there. Dan Snyder voluntarily has decided to uh, take a back seat in the day-to-day operations at CEO, and earlier this week, uh, his wife Tanya was named uh, co-CEO of the Washington football team, and she will be taking over day-to-day operations while Dan works on the stadium. There's a lot to unpack here, Micah, so let's start off just with what were your thoughts with that initial report when it came out of just a $10 million suspension, no fine for half a year or four year, five years, nothing at all? Man, my first initial thought was, damn, that's a pretty light sentencing because we can let's consider it as sentencing. That's a pretty light sentencing for a report that's been a year and a half in the making. And we've known really about these issues for a couple of years now. All of this culmination, all of the negative press and everything that happened and for good reason happened all just led to this a 10 million dollar fine you're paying more for ryan fitzpatrick to start for your football team this year and it seems like instead of it being the entire you know dissemination and blowout that it should have been and you know holding people accountable it just seems like the nfl kind of just slapped the owner you know dan snyder on the wrist and that's kind of a unfortunate kind of thing because we never really want to pray for anybody's downfall but you also want to see the right thing done and in short man the right thing doesn't seem like it was done my biggest issue with this whole situation comes down to the fact that we don't get to see the report it was reported that the report wasn't written down and that it was an oral report i honestly don't know what that means in the grand scheme of things of an oral report why wouldn't there be things that you write down why notes from the interviews that you took things that you observed in the toxic um, work environment. So it feels like they were doing a lot of things to hide how bad it was. And I just feel terrible for the people that were actually involved that were in this toxic culture that see he gets a $10 million fine. And you're just like, well, what was all that pain I went through for? So it's unfortunately, it's not something that I was very proud of. Washington football team on the positive, they've been in a lot of great conversations this year. And this just reminded that, hey, we still have a ways to go with how we want this team to end up being. And yeah, maybe Dan Snyder just does change. Maybe uh, Tanya having a more prominent role in the front office and as the head of the table changes this culture a little bit. But it's just things like that where you're still reminded that, hey, this is still the same Washington Redskins of before now Washington football team where there's always going to be messiness uh, around it because – Last offseason, it was all of this stuff. It was the name change. It was everything. And this offseason felt like football, 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 finally. And right when you think, all right, we're getting into training camp, we're getting ready to go, boom, you get dropped with this bomb again. Just to remind you that this is still the same old organization. Yeah, it's really interesting because like, when you consider it and put it amongst other of these quote-unquote scandals that have happened, this is nothing. I mean... Just, you know, reading a tweet from uh, J.P. Finley, we all know him as probably pretty much one of the voices of the Washington football team, one of the best reporters out here. He, he basically said that the New England Patriots, you know, their whole fiasco resulted in a 139-page report. 
other reports, we can say whatever other scandals have happened in the NFL have have written reports and the data and the facts put out there for the public, you know, consumption because that's what happens when things are investigated and results happen from those investigations. This just seems almost like a cover-up job and I don't feel like I'm too out of pocket saying that that the fact that the the seriousness of the allegations and everything taking place, the fact that we have been supposedly changing the culture and relying on guys like Jason Wright and Ron Rivera, who are great men who are actually trying to do that, all of this supposed change, hiring women in power positions in the franchise, all of that is almost negated. And it, it sucks to say because all that great work was done just for the result to be another cover-up job by the people that are always in power and going to stay in power. And it goes into a lot of deep other issues, but we'll just save that for another pod, another time, another day. But it's just really unfortunate because nobody got justice here. Yeah, I agree with you. And we had to touch on it. I don't really want to dwell on it because I do want this to be more of a positive, upbeat pod because we do we have been off for uh, over a week now, so... I want to get back into the sports aspect of things, but of course we uh, we have to cover um, that news off of the top quickly with the Washington football team. A couple of things have come out and um, just analytics and rankings, and this is the time in the season before everybody gets to training camp and starts the preseason. So, two things, Micah. First, I'll start with this: Washington football team was rated as a top five offensive line um, by Pro Football Network. What were your thoughts on that? That's um. I can see how that, I guess, thought process goes because if the team played pretty much a great and considering the death and almost, I would consider it a, a top-notch offensive line uh, caliber season, you know, with the pieces that they added and the idea that certain guys fit in certain places and everybody should get better, they should be a top-five O-line. Now, the only thing that kind of pushes me against that is what is going to happen at right tackle because Morgan Moses... He really fixed himself last year, and I mean, him paired with Brandon Sheriff was just a great combination. So we'll see what happens, but I do think that this O-line does project well, and I don't think they necessarily got worse, but I don't know if they really got better yet, and that's for us to kind of just see. So I appreciate Pro Football Network putting us into the top five, but I don't think we can be top five until we've proven that we are a top five. Like you said, right tackle is still a big question mark. Last year we were... Um, I think we were ranked 8th or ninth as a collective O-line, which is really good. And we do technically have pieces upgraded almost at every single position. Now, with Charles Leno now stable in that uh, left tackle position, Eric Flowers and Wes Schweitzer are going to battle it in training camp. But Flowers has been a higher-rated guy. We, obviously, we have Sheriff. Obviously, we have Rui at center or right guard. And then if Cosme does turn into a serviceable tackle or Cornelius Lucas is that um, right tackle for you, then yeah, it could potentially be a top five, um, a top five type of uh, O line. But I think top five right now is kind of high. I would probably put us in the ten to twelve range, just because I thought we were good yes, uh, last year and people didn't give us enough credit. But I think top five at this moment might be a little bit too high for us. On the other aspect of things, where I do think we were pretty accurately rated, um, Pro Football Focus came out with their team rankings today where does each team's roster rank and the Washington football team came in at number 12 what do you think of those rankings I think that's a very accurate and almost perfect ranking for the Washington football team because if you look at the roster and first of all if you size it up in a division and then on a conference 
scale and then on a league scale, there's not a lot of teams I can say on paper that look better than the Washington football team. I think when you address the positions that needed to be addressed and you have really your biggest question is just coming at quarterback, but at the very least you have a top 20 quarterback. At the very, very least you have a top 20 quarterback now. You cleaned up positions at receiver, which was a big need. You have more weapons. The linebacker is still interesting, but you did draft uh, pretty much a, a highly rated, touted prospect that is pretty much going to produce. Why not put us in the top 12? Because when you really you know get down to it, the defense is going to be a top three lock. The offense, which was league worst pretty much last year, I mean, it was just nothing going on. But you make these improvements and then, you know, you become a at least a top 16 offense, maybe, you know, 16 to that 18 range. I think that kind of averages out to about 12. So it definitely makes sense to me. And I think PFF didn't do uh, a disservice to us by putting us there. And I think it's pretty accurate. And I think that's the type of play you'll see that mid, um, you know, 12 to 15 style, pretty average, but at times could be really good. I think that's the projection for the Washington football team this year. Yeah, I think the defense being where it is, and you can project that defense to be, like you said, a top, top three, top two, like, yeah, the best defense in the NFL. You upgraded a cornerback. Obviously, you upgraded a linebacker. You didn't upgrade a D-line, but the D-line was already top in the league. So that's great. And then we went from possibly the worst offense in football to serviceable. And like you said, average those out. We're getting a, a, 12, a 10 to 12, 12 to 15 type of roster. The biggest question, obviously, is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. If Fitzpatrick is able to produce as that quarterback, yeah, we can bump ourselves into the top 10 type of rosters. But if he doesn't produce that brings you back down. So the X factor, obviously, and always is the QB. And with a great defense, if you just have a decent offense, that can definitely bump us up um, as the season goes along. But I, it's weird to see Washington getting all this praise. Usually, um, it's pretty terrible. Last year, I saw Washington was ranked as the 31st ranked um, roster in the NFL. And now you go from 31st to 12th. And, I mean... You had, obviously, two draft class, but you had Chase Young as your big acquisition, Curtis Samuel, William Jackson, just different positions. Jamin Davis, just different guys that you're drafting in different positions, obviously increases how good this roster is. So, Washington football team, on the field, everything is going great. Off the field, still a mess, but it does seem like things are starting to turn around, and hopefully Dan Snyder is able to fix his problem in the front office Again, but moving on from football, because football season isn't really in the swing right now. Everybody's taking time off, getting ready to go to training camp. I want to switch over to the NBA, Micah, because last time that we talked, um, things looked a little bit different. I think two weeks ago, the Jazz looked like they were potentially going to the Western Conference Finals. The Brooklyn Nets may have been looking like they were going to the Western, uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals, and a couple of things changed. The Jazz ended up choking. Uh, Brooklyn got super injured everywhere. Kevin Durant put on a masterpiece, but was not able to get it done. Now we have the Bucks and the Hawks. The Bucks uh, are without Giannis. Scary injury, but it looks like he's going to be fine. And Trey Young, bone bruise. We don't know if he's going to play or not. But we do know on the Western Conference side that CP3's masterpiece in Game 6 put the Clippers away, and the Suns are going back to their first final since 1993. So since we don't know this yet, and we're not going to be back for another week, and by the time we're back next week, we will know the uh, finals. Michael, Suns versus Hawks, Suns versus Bucks. Give me your prediction for uh, each series. So, in a series featuring the Suns versus the Hawks, 
I have the Suns winning this in six games, similar to how they beat the Clippers. I do think that they would get up 2-0 very quickly at home, and then it switches. ATL gets a great, you know, the Hawks get a great win at home, then they win another game, possibly lose one on the road, but finish it out. Um, the Suns will finish it out on the road. For some reason, this team does really, really well in these game sixes. I, I forgot who said it last night during the ESPN broadcast, but it basically like, no, this team for the entire playoffs, well, at least in the series that they played in LA, they closed them both out in LA. I think that they have the ability to go on the road and finish the job, and we've seen it now because they're in the NBA Finals. So I would take the Suns um, beating the Hawks in six. Um, I do think the Suns are just a better team outright, even if Trey Young is playing. It'll be a very exciting. It'll it'll be the most exciting series we get. And for the other series, you know, <laughs> the Suns versus the Bucks is interesting because for one, even if the Bucks get by the Hawks somehow. You still don't know how healthy Giannis is. It's known that he doesn't have necessarily a torn ACL and there's not really any true ligament damage, but that fall was not good. It was a hyperextension and a bad hyperextension at that. So if you have an, a 75% to 60, you know, 60 to 75% Giannis in the finals and versus this Suns team who is, I mean, Monty Williams should have been coach of the year. James Jones, I don't know if he did win exec of the year. He might have, but the way they have this ship rolling with CP3 kind of being the org court coach, I still would kind of honestly take the Suns against a Bucks team that is hurt with Giannis. Now, if Giannis somehow, some way, if they shoot him up with something and he comes out 100% healthy, then I have the Bucks in six. But if Giannis is hurt, even just a little bit, I think it kind of throws off the Bucks because, yes, Chris Middleton, he will be able to score and replace Giannis' scoring, but there's so much other stuff that Giannis kind of does on the court, even though he doesn't get put to his um, to his best abilities, I feel like, by, by Coach Budenholzer, but he does so much on the floor, on the defensive side, with his effort, with him, his just presence in general, that him not being fully healthy, I think it kind of damages that. So um, if, and I'll just, you know, wrap it up real quick, man, if Giannis is healthy versus the Suns, then I have them winning in six, but, uh, if the Suns are healthy and Giannis isn't, I honestly, 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 I think the Suns win this in five. Ooh, okay. That's a yeah, that's a tough takes. one. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a tough one. Um quickly for me, the Bucks depends on it depends on Giannis. If Giannis is there, I honestly think that they could be there and healthy. I think they could beat um, a Suns team where they play swarming defense. We saw what Patrick Beverly, how he was able to disturb Devin Booker a little bit. Um, he either put him on Booker or Chris Paul. Somebody's going to be uh, struggling throughout the game just because Drew Holiday is a menace. And I think the Bucks actually have enough from their starters to be able to beat him. If Giannis isn't 100%, and I don't think he's going to be 100%, I would end up going Suns in six. And then against the Atlanta Hawks, Trey isn't healthy either. I said this yesterday in our group chat. I think the NBA Finals was in round one with the Suns and the Lakers. And with AD getting hurt, that ruined everything. So I guess I go Suns in five, too. So maybe switch it up from you. Suns in five with Atlanta and Suns in six with the Bucks. But I think right now, the, the way the Suns are going, that this is probably going to be 
their this is going to be their championship. They get the extra rest. Obviously, everybody's going to get healthy. C, uh, CB3, the shoulder, the COVID, everything can come back from that. Devin Booker with the nose. Any other ailments? Um, Cam Johnson got like food poisoning. So everybody's going to be back and healthy. And if this goes seven bucks, Hawks, they're coming off of what a couple of days, maybe two days of rest, and they're starting right back up. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough for that Eastern Conference team, especially the Hawks, if you have to fly now from Atlanta to Phoenix. So I think this is a Suns championship to win, and Chris Paul gets that that first ring. But that's going to do it for this show. A quick show today. Just had to make sure we got back on the pod and talk about the um, the Dan Snyder situation. Before we go, though, Micah, I do want to touch on the Nationals real quick. Kyle Schwarber, the hottest hitter in baseball. He's the, the Nats. <laughs> Nats winners of 14 of their last 17. Um, about to start a series against the Dodgers. Just give me your quick thoughts on what you just seen with this Nationals team and how they've gone from literally – Nine games under 500 to now two games over 500. I'll say this about the Nets, and I'm one of the one of the watchers that I don't necessarily watch in April and May like very intently. I'll catch a few games, but when June, July, August, and into the postseason kicks in, that's when I kick in. And for a fan that's kind of just been watching them lukewarm and seeing them do this now, it makes you want to be tuned in because when the Nationals play at their best, and we saw it during this World Series run too. It's just like they have so much energy and the ability to have instant offense and really just good, I don't want to say good enough pitching, but enough pitching to, you know, control these games and really just win off pure offense and really do it the right way, man. It's it's really, really entertaining to watch, and it always makes you believe that they can always contend. And I think that's really the message I'm trying to get across right now, that they can always weather the storm when healthy and find a way right back into the limelight of the league where they're always considered one of the best teams when they're on the roll. So, Seeing this, seeing Schwarber being absolutely dominant, I mean, I get notifications every damn day at this point that he's just hitting homers. Seeing Juan Soto get back into his groove. Guys are kind of just playing how they should have been playing. Um, as you mentioned, you told me the other day that Steven Strasburg is going to be coming back. That's a big addition to the pitching unit. And it's just great to be seeing this again because it almost feels reminiscent from that World Series run where they just kicked it up in May and they didn't look back. Yeah, this is... I wasn't expecting this. With that World Series run, I knew they were a good team. I knew that they had the pitching. I knew that they had the hitting. But this year, the hitting was kind of suspect because you don't have that Rendon in your lineup that helps extend your lineup one through uh, nine. It was very top-heavy, and it started off with Trey Turner, Soto, and then you do a Bell, Schwarber. But switching Schwarber up and him catching on fire just makes it so much easier for Trey and Soto um, to get on base, to get better pitches and everything, and it's worked out perfectly for them. Uh, I still think that if the Nats want to make a serious run, they do have to make a move at the trade deadlines, probably get another bat in there, because they're not getting much production from center field and Victor Robles. Uh, Starling is starting to heat up a little bit, but he hasn't had a great season. And then they also need to figure out their bullpen with uh, Kyle Finnegan, Daniel Hudson, those guys, your top A guys in the uh, bullpen, are now all hurt, essentially. You have to get another bullpen arm because you can't rely on back-end guys, Wander Suero, Sam Clay. They're going to blow games for you. Justin Miller got DFA'd. So I think for the Nationals, is making sure that you're able to get everybody healthy, get your bullpen back. You probably want to get another bullpen arm. Probably want to get somebody at third or second base. I just saw the lineup for tonight. Trey Turner's out. And the reports are that he jammed his finger, but I also saw a report that it may be a hair life fracture 
in his fingers. So if that's true, he's going to be out for a while, and that really hurts the lineup again. So Carter Kibu, may, may we see an appearance from him since Luis Garcia is also on the injured list. There's a lot for the Nationals to figure out, especially with this tough stretch coming up. You have the Dodgers, you have the Giants, and you have the Padres, all-star break, and then the Padres on the other end. So three of the top teams in MLB you have coming up in your next three series. Just go 500 throughout that, and then you have an easy schedule the rest of the way out, and hopefully you're rounding up into shape. Like you said, Steven is coming back potentially after the all-star break. Hudson and Finnegan should be back in the next week or so, and you'll be able to actually put a team together and see what you can do and Maybe we can have some 2019 magic again, but bringing Gerardo Parra back, Baby Shark, having Schwarber hit all those home runs, it's been fun again to watch Nationals baseball. And we haven't been able to say that since we won the World Series. 2020 was dreadful, didn't get to celebrate it, the team sucked, nobody was motivated. The beginning of the season, even worse, thought people would be getting traded or fired or whatever the case may be. But now, we can take a deep breath and just enjoy what the Nationals have been doing for the past uh, two, two and a half weeks now. But that's going to wrap it up for this pod. Micah and I will be back next week to uh, review some pre-training camp questions that we may have for the Washington football team. Hopefully, we'll have an update on the Wizards head coach. I know they've interviewed uh, our favorites. Wes Unsub got interviewed today. Sam Kinsell got in- interviewed a couple of days ago. So maybe we'll have a coach and we can talk about that. And then anything else going on in D.C. sports with the Nats. Um, as they continue on their hot streak. But for Mike and for Mike, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.